0: hello i'm jamie sanchez and you can call me
1: madam killer i'm lauren fates and if anyone wants to put a bounty out on my ex you go right ahead are you ready for the beat i'm ready for the beat Hello, all bounty hunters in the star system. We have a huge episode for you today just because since we last sat down to record, the Netflix Geeked Week came out and told us a whole lot that we didn't know before about the live action Cowboy Bebop. So excited, so pumped. Of course, the biggest news, the biggest drop is that Yoko Kano is going to be back with original music for the soundtrack. Jamie, how do you feel? I feel
0: excited for the first time about this project. Like I had been so anxious and reserved about my feelings, but now I'm legit stoked.
1: Yes. When I was watching that big reveal, I kind of felt like this was going to happen. It's almost like we knew it already. I wasn't surprised. But what I was surprised by was the feeling of excitement that came over me. Because even if like the show itself, if the writing's not that great or the setting's not that great, I know the soundtrack is going to slap and that makes me so happy.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, you and 30,000 others on Twitter who've already like voiced their entire enthusiasm for this. It just, it won't stop. It's been days people are talking.
1: I do hope people are following us on Twitter, at uh, BebopBeat. I have this habit and it is me, you guys. It is me 100% of the time. If you see our account just going and liking every mention anyone has made of Cowboy Bebop in the past like two hours, that's my hobby now. Sometimes I just sit and I open a beer and anyone on Twitter who said Cowboy Bebop, they get to meet me. And I did a whole lot of that in the the wake of the Netflix stuff.
0: Other buzz this week included an announcement that Shinichiro Watanabe, our director of Cowboy Bebop, is now the musical advisor to Madhouse's latest work, Sunny Boy. He'll be overseeing a bunch of international artists, um, and the project itself is helmed by One Punch Man director Shingo Natsume. If you want to check out more about that, you can head to Crunchyroll or OdaQuest, and the news is all right there.
1: Super awesome, because I did hear he's... I think, not affiliated with the Netflix show, it's great that we'll still be able to see his work somewhere. Yeah, and I
0: think it's really cool that, you know, given his musical inclinations, he's just so stoked to keep working on musical projects like this, um, or at least help out the directors who who want that kind of influence and that kind of depth to their lineup on the musical
1: end. Before we get past this, though, 75% of the fan hype I saw was about Yoko Kano. 25% or so was about John Cho's hair. What's the verdict, Jamie? Uh, uh... (laughs) See, this is the thing, though. People were taking his appearance in that trailer like that was it, like that's Spike Spiegel, but he's not in costume, and I actually think they'll probably fluff it up more.
0: It's true, it's true. Um, For the Bebop fans out there who aren't aware Spike Spiegel is actually modeled after an actor of the 60s and 70s named uh, Yusaku Matsuda, and he's known for some really interesting pulp movies. If you want to see more Spike but real live action before we get to the Netflix adaptation, definitely check out his works, Uh, but that is indeed Spike's fluffy hair. And part B to this point, if we're talking about Spike's hair and being super critical of it, Watanabe is actually on record saying his hair is dark green. So there you go. No need to debate it anymore.
1: I didn't know that was a debate. I, what, what else would it be?
0: Yeah, some folks, like, they just go natural brown or they say, like, oh, it's just the lighting in a lot
1: of cases. I'm like, no, no, it's just a really, really dark green. I'm extremely confused by that. I've never thought anything but green. <laughs> I could see how. It, the show's color
0: schemes, you know, they're all over the place sometimes, Lauren. So this week, we're discussing... The first of a few Faye episodes, My Funny Valentine, and we thought it would be very applicable to invite a friendship expert, if you will, master friendshipper, friend of the show, friend of me. I love Trin. Welcome Trin Garitano, writer, podcaster, and co-host of the Friendshipping
2: Podcast, Welcome, Trin. <laughs> hey, thanks. I am not ready to change the subject from John Cho's hair yet. Is that okay? Please get on board.
1: What are your thoughts? Okay,
2: so uh, I I did not see it when it happened because uh, I was I was doing something else, and I saw everybody's reactions on Twitter to his hair, and uh, and so I was like, I, I need to Google this, and so I'm looking at it as you guys are talking. There is a luster to that hair. Like it is just, it is like a flowing, beautiful, like angel situation. And I agree with you. I do think that they are going to use the general shape of the hair, but fluff it more to become more of the Spike Spiegel. I agree. That's what I want.
1: I'm also just going to go on record to say on this podcast in the past, I have expressed that a younger, more problematic version of me did have a crush on Spike. And John Cho is an attractive man, but in the moment when he like popped his collar and got oh, no. the sort of like high collar a la Spike, I felt it. I felt it like in my chest. Wake up, and I went,
2: "Oh no, <laughs> oh man!" And like that, okay, that is very real. Okay, to be attracted to Spike, he's cute. They 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 stylized this character to be this very like I don't know like a like a very glamorous hand Solo kind of situation. Like he's wearing a suit all the time and. Like, he clearly puts a little bit of attention a into his appearance. I mean, he's a cutie. He's an asshole, but he's very <laughs> cute.
1: Well, I also went to the mat on Reddit over the, the past couple of days uh, for Faye because there are a couple of gentleman fans who she obviously doesn't fit their personal fantasy and when somebody tried to take this like rational academic hot take about why she, quote, wasn't hot enough, mm. I was like, that's a personal opinion. She looks exactly like I imagined. You fuck off. <laughs> uh, like, I'm not kidding. Like, Daniela Pineda to me looks like Faye did in my mind. I know that um, she's supposed to be a Singaporean. And for some people, she might not look 100% accurate, but in terms of finding someone who looks like Anime, holy smokes, what a babe. <laughs> I'm
2: googling Cowboy Bebop cast. Oh no, they gave me the Anime. Move. <laughs> so I need to I need to be up on the the Bebop beat, okay? I should have done this research ahead of time. Cowboy Bebop. It's cool, it's cool. You got time live action cast. Oh. Oh, she's very cute. I support this very strongly. Just a good-looking cast. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so so excited to talk about all these assholes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And this episode is full of assholes. I have been looking forward to doing My Funny Valentine for quite a while. It is a personal favorite of mine because we get to learn the tender past of Faye, a little bit about how she got the way she is, And it's because she's been screwed by jerks, just total dudes abusing and manipulating her. And I can't wait to dunk on them.
2: I, too, am excited for the dunking that is about to occur. (laughs) Let's go ham on these assholes.
1: (laughs) So my funny Valentine begins with Faye in a tank. It is vaguely familiar To the earlier imagery we see of Spike in his eye surgery, we, in this anime, I think, enjoy a good, creepy medical environment every now and then. And uh, Faye wakes up on the Bebop from a nightmare. The Bebop crew, they're going through some of their same old troubles. They're very hungry. There's like a weird, toxic fish that Jet finds in storage and Ed wants to eat because she's starving. And we see Faye uh, with Ayn actually willing to clean up dog poop, which I was surprised by. She looks at Ayn, sees Ayn's face, and says that Ayn's eyebrows remind her of a man from the past. And for the first time, she says she's going to talk a little bit about who she really is, or at least what she knows of her background.
2: Yeah, she put a lot of trust in that dog. Who wouldn't? It's a cutie. He's so good. And I was also like so I uh I, I need to admit something. I uh watched the episode four times. <laughs> And I took five pages of notes. So there's a possibility that you will hear me shuffling around, and it is only because I care so much. Uh, and it was a very interesting start because you start with a helpless, naked woman frozen in a tube, and then you kind of like go right to the the future or the past, or I don't really know where we are in, in the timeline at this point. And, uh, and it's just... Uh, a very good tease, I think, for what is about to happen.
0: I'm glad we went back to the capsule because this is so iconically anime. Yeah. <laughs> we see tons of frozen women <laughs> thawed out in the future in sci-fi anime. And in particular, that scene was definitely influenced. Uh, there are homages uh, to Star Trek and Doctor Who in that scene, uh, if you go back and they're like, really attentive to the detail.
1: Sci-fi in general loves a frozen woman in a in a small enclosed space. I'm thinking of River Tam in Firefly as well. <laughs> yeah.
0: Six months ago, I rewatched the movie Demolition Man, and I got major Sylvester Stallone vibes from Faye <laughs> this time being thawed out. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, that... Just that was the time in the 90s. Cryosleep was a thing that you wanted to write into a lot of sci-fi.
2: Yeah, lots of women in tubes in general, even not in cryosleep. I actually saw that scene and thought of Leeloo in The Fifth Element. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a very like, let's put a woman a woman in a place where she cannot defend herself at all and we can all look at her.
1: <laughs> I remember having conversations like as a very young person, as a child, about whether or not we would want to be like cryo frozen if we died. I feel like it was one of those things you talked about as a kid in the 90s right up there with like quicksand and other things that were in media that aren't actually real real problems. But the the rumor that like Walt Disney was cryo frozen was big when I was a kid. I don't know about y'all in school, but it came up and I remember having talks like would you do it if you had the choice to wake up in the future? like cured of all ailments, would you do it?
2: I mean, why wouldn't you if you were going to die anyway, you know?
1: I guess if you were going to die anyway, might be the qualifier. I think if you were going to die anyway, why not? But Jamie's shaking her head no. No. Really?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I dislike the idea of losing all agency. Like in this case, Faye wakes up. She doesn't know where she is. So clearly amnesia is not an expected result of her waking up from the cryosleep. But at the same time, like now she's in the hands of all these like con men. That
2: blows. I don't want to be in the future conned. No, thank you. I totally agree with you. But I think I would go into cryo sleep just kind of like with my fingers crossed, hoping for the best that some crooked doctor won't try to extort me for millions of dollars when I wake up. I think I would just like have that hope going in.
1: Well, Faye is in extra trouble in that regard because she wakes up with memory loss. She has no idea who she is or where she is or how she got there. And it appears, at least to me, that it's a surprise. The doctor, who is like a wisecracking former alcoholic, I guess, (laughs) uh, seems shocked when the nurse says the amnesia is not a joke. Can I
0: I rewind a little, like just a a minute there? When Faye is thawed out, did anyone else get creeped out by like the slurping thawing noise?
1: (laughs) I got I mean, I was creeped out by quite a bit of the scene. I was creeped out by how we animated from the perspective of her eyes and just got to see her boobs so much. Yeah. Uh, Right back down to like women without agency. It was I think it's meant to be a creepy kind of invasive feeling moment.
2: It was interesting. I agree with you. I think there are two elements there. One, that it's supposed to feel creepy, like that doctor's face is very close to her face and to her chest. But also, you know, it's for the benefit of the audience to see the boobs.
0: Yeah, that's some fan service, for sure. We've talked at length on this show about how healthcare is just garbage in the future. This is the year 2071, and... Like, not only is Faye on the hook for a cryostasis that she probably never wanted to begin with, but now she has 54 years of interest. That means that she was frozen in the year 2017.
1: Here's the thing about this episode, though, that really only got my mental wheels turning this time. Is everyone's healthcare experience with cryo freeze like this or did Faye and only Faye get scammed? Here's where I'm at. Before the, when I when I watched this years ago, I was like, "Oh, this really sucks." Like these people who are woken up, they wake up and they're in debt. And the the scene where she's like staggering through all of the like glowing advertising, and she's learning all about all these gadgets and and technology, and she's just terrified. You really, I really felt for her, and I'm like, gosh, why would anyone go through this? But I think it might be just her. I think healthcare technology might be so far advanced, and cryo freeze and cures are so pervasive and perfect that now some like backwater scam doctor can get access to that technology and ruin someone's life. There's, the, the place wasn't big enough. I didn't see anyone else. And spoiler alert: we learn later that Whitney is a relative of the doctor. Yeah. Maybe this isn't the healthcare system. Maybe Faye just got cornered by like one
2: bad dude. That was very curious to me as well because I I was thinking to myself like, oh oh no. So you're saying that in the future everybody has American healthcare? That sucks. Uh, but as things progressed, it felt like. A complicated ruse, and I, I was actually wondering um, your opinion, and, and you've seen more of the show than I have because I watched up to this episode so far. Uh, but it seemed orchestrated. It seemed from the beginning that Whitney was grooming Faye, is what it felt like. So I, I don't, I don't know. It's, it almost felt to me like Whitney was there as a contingency if she didn't immediately give them money. You know, I, I wasn't quite clear.
0: I also don't think anyone wakes up after 54 years captive just having 300 million wulongs lying around. It's pretty clear that she's in this plot to begin with because she has been frozen.
1: This is very clearly a predatory operation. So let's talk a little bit more about these characters. The doctor is Dr. Bacchus, and the nurse is Miss Manley. And Dr. Bacchus's name... He references it even. He says, this, this god who drowned more humans than, than Neptune, he refers to it sort of jokingly as a metaphor for his own struggles with alcohol. Uh, Bacchus is the Roman god of agriculture, but also like partying, you know, uh, wine and fertility current geek culture folks might understand Bacchus as the Greek equivalent to Dionysus. And so if you've been playing Hades, the video game, Dionysus is the wine one who gives you all the the drunk power-ups. That's who this doctor is named for.
0: Is there an analog to Miss Manley? I didn't check that out.
1: <laughs> I don't think so. I was trying to figure out if they were doing a joke like she looks manly i thought they were just being mean to her i didn't think there was anything (laughs) deeper there
0: another reference that we hear in really early on is that whitney calls Faye sleeping beauty right there's this idea that she's woken up from a long slumber and now she's gotten her prince and like he's planting that seed real early and maybe they date for what two to four weeks
1: oh if that so yeah Just to follow chronologically, Faye, as we said, goes running from the hospital because she can't pay, she's scared, and uh, she eventually gets caught by her lawyer, quote-unquote. Whitney introduces himself as Whitney Haggis Matsumoto. He was supposedly sent there by an insurance company, which is weird because does Faye have insurance? Why would she? I don't understand. But she doesn't have anybody else, so she trusts him. He's a good-looking guy. I believe he's supposed to be based on George Clooney. And so if you believe that and you uh, imagine all of the, like, rom-coms he's been in or even, like, ER, you just imagine this this trustworthy, warm-looking dream daddy. So, of course, she wants to, like, eat food with him. He buys her clothes. And they appear to be falling in love. I say appear to be. Very intentionally.
2: Right, because what other option does she have? You know, she just arrived from 54 years ago. She doesn't really have any money. She doesn't really have many options. Uh, I mean, if somebody were giving me that kind of easy out in such a difficult time, I mean, I think I would take it. And I mean, let's also bear in mind that Faye's 20 years old here. Three years before that, she was a literal child. So like, <laughs> when I watch their dynamic, I I don't really just see like, this young woman with this dude. I see a very young woman with a like middle-aged man who's got a lot on her. And that's just, it's a, it starts off even unhealthy, I feel like. There's
0: something about, canonically, where she's defrosted that has always bothered me this episode. And it appears she's defrosted on Mars. This looks like the setting of Mars or something in the system that is not Earth. But as we find out in a later episode... Her accident takes place pretty early on. I'm, I'm certain this is just a plot hole, but it always bothers me.
1: <laughs> Doesn't that kind of reinforce the idea, though, that maybe this was some sort of a massive predatory scam? Like, we don't know, but she could have literally been kidnapped or taken somewhere.
0: And her records don't exist because of the gate accident, right? So so everything about her is lost to the ages. This is a perfect opportunity for Kahneman to come in, take advantage of this very young woman, and try to scam her out of all the money she's worth, which is zero. She's worth nothing right now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right? Maybe they assumed that because she was cryogenically frozen that she had the means at the time to have that and like she'd have distant relatives. I'm not sure what their con was, but the great news is they didn't actually get anything out of her, so that's
1: nice. (laughs) Oh, I don't, I'm not sure they thought they were going to get money. My impression of the con was to get Whitney's astronomical debt off of him and the reward wasn't money it was earning him a new life it was his freedom to get his mistakes erased and they accomplished that so it doesn't matter if she could pay it or not fair enough these guys are
2: assholes <laughs> <laughs> they're not good they're no, definitely they're not. not good
1: so we see this uh romantic in hindsight it's not romantic at all but there's this romantic montage the classic like scene of the beautiful woman gets a new dress and yes. we see how gorgeous she is. They're driving around in a convertible. They're dancing the night away. The song Flying Teapot plays. Uh, Flying Teapot is unfortunately, by the way, not one of my favorite Cowboy Bebop songs. I want to like it. The vocal talent is very strong. But the lyrics to me sound like You know how sometimes you'll hear an anime theme and the the English translation is like really wordy and really complex because they're trying to translate it but fit it into a melody still? It hits me like that, but this song has always been what it is. These songs were the same in dub and sub, so I don't know why it's such an odd song. Anyway, that's my opinion. Don't love it. (laughs) They're driving and a ship kind of... Cuts them off like a space, uh, you know, a space in the sky ship cuts off their car on the road. Whitney declares it's a collection agency. They ran out of patience. They're here to get you, Faye. Run. (laughs) Faye runs. And in a just gigantic, like comedically huge fireball, Whitney's car supposedly explodes. You can hear that my voice is sort of laughing. Because I think um, the first time you watch this, you may not realize that he's scamming her. You may think this is actually a tragedy. But knowing it's all fake, you really are allowed to laugh at what a ridiculous looking <laughs> like explosion that is. Like what a huge
2: show they put on. Absolutely, and why do the insurance companies have so many resources? Why are they <laughs> sending helicopters after patients that just woke up after fifty-four years of sleep? I just feel like there's
1: another thing, though. I don't think it's the insurance company. Oh yeah, I think I think it's just the doctor. Oh, I agree. Flying around in another stolen
2: ship. Fully agree with you. It's just that, like, they're the the lie that this group is trying to sell is just so outrageous and hilarious in retrospect. I agree with you. When I first saw the episode, when I watched that scene where he, well, Whitney dies, quote unquote, not really. Um, I, I agree with you. I was like, this is, wow, oh, how, how sad or whatever. But, but no, when you watch it again, knowing that this is all false, it's like well, there are so many enormous pieces of this that just don't fit together at all.
0: I also want to know why the doctor has so many explosions for a comically large fireball.
1: Right. (laughs) What is this guy doing selling explosives on the side or something? Well, Faye is just in the perfect position, unfortunately, for her to be manipulated by being frozen for decades. She doesn't know what a reasonable scenario or a reasonable narrative looks like. Maybe this is how insurance companies act, you know? Uh, and so she she buys it. She's just unfortunately, like, a great mark for them.
0: The scene where she's told to place her thumbprint and inherit all of Whitney's assets, and then she finds out that all of the assets are in fact debt, and she wigs out, I see that as the birth of the modern fae. Like, that scene is the iconic switch where, oh, now she's this, like, angry, tomboy, conniving person. She's just been abused by these terrible people, and she has no agency in getting out of this. So what else is she going to do? And this thus begins her life to being the con
1: artist badass she is. Having watched that scene now with the sort of um, intelligence and language that I have in my mid-30s, I really take issue from, like, a consent point of view. Oh, yeah. I I do still believe that Faye thought she was of sound mind and probably wanted this man's assets, but between the fact that she was experiencing deep grief and the fact that the doctor literally takes her arm and places her hand on the screen for her, I think, like... Not that she would know any better, but I think she'd have a powerful legal case for like she was coerced into this; it was really forced on her.
2: Absolutely, and I feel like that crew of uh, of these these um, con artists—they really show such ownership over Faye this entire time. Um, and I'm I'm afraid I'm skipping ahead here, but uh, when it's revealed that the doctor gave Faye her name. <laughs> It was just, I was blown back. It's like, that is the, it's like as though she were his pet. And let's be clear, like, I really, I mean, I've enjoyed the show. I've enjoyed the music, but oh my goodness, this character was done dirty in this episode.
0: Oh, hell yeah. This is terrible. Everything is awful about these people. I don't know if
1: it gives Faye a pass, though, to be the awful person that she can be. I don't think it gives her a pass, but it certainly gives a reason that up until today, her roommates, her friends were not aware of. I have mentioned before how much I really feel for specifically the debt part of her personality. Mm -hmm. I think it's very easy to be like, Gosh, she just needs to pay off her debt. Why does she go gamble? Why does she buy so much fast food? Why does she buy so much clothes? She has so
2: many
0: avocado toasts and iPhones. She doesn't know what to do with them all.
1: (laughs) She's killing so many industries
2: like TJI Fridays.
1: (laughs) But not only is her debt just so unimaginably large that like she's not gonna feel like she can make a dent in it. So she might as well give herself a little bit of like pleasure for her time on earth. But she has this trauma behind her. I agree with you, Jamie, that I think the moment she's given all of this extra debt on top of the debt she already has, that's where she gets the don't trust anybody, don't believe in anybody, betray before you are betrayed. The world has taught her that this is how to act. I don't think she gets a pass, but she maybe should go to therapy. (laughs) Do they have space therapy? We've talked about this before.
2: Well, they have fake space doctors, so I feel like maybe at least there are fake space therapists. She can get something from there.
1: (laughs) I guess it's worth mentioning at this point that Whitney is our bounty this episode. He is worth an amount of Wulongs that actually differs between the sub and the dub, but I'll get to that because it's the last scene. He is wanted, and when Faye sees him... A very familiar question starts rising up in the Bebop crew, and that is when we're dealing with someone with an emotional attachment to one of our crew members, can that crew member still get the job done? Faye in the past and in the present, I think, is very tempted by nostalgia, by the thought of meeting someone special, by uh, the thought of being trusted or someone she can trust. But she also loves money, and so I'm curious: Did either of you think she was going to go through with it and turn him
2: in, or not? So, I've been thinking about what you said about the fact that uh, you know this is these are really phase formative memories. You know, if she has absolutely no memory from her past, her first. Real memories that she has are being deceived and manipulated and given debt and uh, and coerced out of money. Um, so I can absolutely understand that. So when she goes off with him, she says something like, um, Spike's like, well, where where are you going to let him go? And she said, we'll see. So I had the impression that she was going to try and get information out of him. And if she liked that information, she would let him go. And if she didn't like that information, she was going to collect the bounty.
0: I would agree with you on that, Reed. I think that's pretty clear that she's She's angry, right? As far as she's concerned, for the last three years, Whitney's been dead. He did, unfortunately, sign over all of his debt to her, but she had no real reason to believe that she's been conned even larger than she had been. And so for him to turn up, by coincidence, might I mind you, for some reason, Jet just happens to be chasing this lady killer or uh, Don Juan, Madam Killer, as he's called in both the sub and the dub. And it happens to be, you know, this old flame lawyer who was supposed to help her. Turns out he's just an asshole all around. And now all the pieces are falling into place. So she is confronted with the idea like, oh, Jet and Spike are just going to turn him in for the bounty. I'm not going to get any of the information out of him that I need. And so she takes off with him in desperate attempt to at least squeeze a little bit more truth out of him.
1: I unfortunately for sure thought that she was going to break and let him go from the beginning for like a bunch of reasons. So point the first, he is still throwing out this like sleeping beauty line, even with his like fat implants and being kind of the butt of a joke. He's still just pulling these, uh, manipulation stirrings on women. He's still got it and they fall for it. I think he's masterful and I, I just don't think Faye is above it. So I was worried about that. But there's this other thing I noticed this walkthrough and it is when Faye thinks she's alone, it's right before Spike comes out of the bathroom. She's sitting with Ayn and you can hear her like verbally justifying what has happened to her. She's almost lessening the blow of what has happened. You know how sometimes you go through something and you're like, well, other people have it worse. I'm strong enough to deal with it. Everything happens for a reason. She's saying things like that. She says, all in all, it really wasn't that much. She insists that he actually did risk his life. And it's like a part of her still wants this narrative to be true. And so, yes, I agree. She wanted the information about her past. She wanted to get some answers. But I think she wanted him to be legit. There was something about what she felt for him in the past and how shitty it felt to be deceived that badly. I think she wanted the answer to be he was worth setting free. And that sucks. (laughs) She never healed right.
2: I also do agree with you, though, Lauren. I think she wanted that to be true. Um, If even by the fact that she gave him enough benefit of the doubt to not just start torturing him, which is what I was hoping was going to happen. I was kind of hoping he'd lose a couple fingers um, to get some information out of him. But you're right. Faye gave him a chance that he 100 percent, even from the get go, He didn't deserve it. He admitted that he altered his appearance right after the accident, the quote-unquote accident that she witnessed. So he already revealed that he went into hiding. I mean, he's still alive, for Christ's sakes, you know? You would think that at least his reason would be
0: like, I tried to look for you, but you couldn't be found, it turns right. out I was alive and, you know, the, the accident didn't kill me after all. Like he could have just kept playing the ignorance game, but he chooses not to. Faye, however, you're right. She's got abandonment issues. She's got so many issues that she needs to work out in space therapy. But <laughs> here we are with with this crew of bounty hunters. And, you know, the point is their lives are aimless. They're looking for answers. They're living in this weird purgatory And Whitney just happens to come to the forefront as a bounty so that she can get some answers out of him. And I I honestly think, yes, the the show writers want us to believe that Faye was going to actually let him go. But nothing about Faye's attitude or personality or actions thus far in the show tells us that she's going to. Like, it's always been very clear from the start that her actions are self-motivated and very, like, self-driven.
1: She does try to let him go, though, right? No. Yeah, she super does. I think she's going to go turn him for the,
0: the bounty. I think that's she crams him in the monopod because she doesn't want Jet to have him.
1: No, no. I interpreted this way differently. So they're crammed in the monopod, and she doesn't have her decision made for a while. But this was actually one of the dub sub differences. So in the dub, she finally says let's go. And she tries to flee. And in the sub, she literally says, I won't hand you over to them. And she does try to escape with him. That's the read I got. And only through having this like dogfight with Spike, which as a former Spike Fay shipper, very hot, um, she gets stopped. But I, I read it as she did. She did try to get away with him and let him go. But I don't
0: see that vulnerability of, like, pre-fae times, you know, where she's just, like, soft and naive. This is clearly driven because she has personal goals she needs to accomplish. And that doesn't involve the cops right
2: now. And she does grill him. Like, she grills him while they're in the the, the little shuttle thing.
1: I certainly think she's changed. I certainly think she's more hardened. I just read it as, despite everything... When she's finally like, "Ugh, I'm not going to let them take you. Let's go. Whatever version of this you're watching, despite all of the armor she's put up, despite all of the like, defenses that she's built, she's like, damn it, damn it. I still have it for this guy. Oh, I can't believe I still have this soft spot, but I think she still has it.
2: I'm going to humbly disagree.
1: (laughs) I got to humbly
2: disagree, too. Because when she said, I'm not letting them take you, that doesn't necessarily mean, like, I'm going to escape with you. She didn't let them take him. She she wanted him in that vessel— for a period of time. Um, and I just, I feel like the, um, the will see is just so telling. But I also, at the same time, I do agree with you though, Lauren. I think she wanted so badly for there to be some truth within the lies. For him to have some information to give her. Uh, but ultimately he didn't. And I wish that she had taken some fingers off of him for it.
0: <laughs> that man de- deserves like only four of his actual fingers.
2: Agreed.
1: So before we get to the very end of the episode, let's check in with our other characters. Ed has a moment where she's like floating in low gravity on Jet's back. That is a pretty uh, common meme going around right now in the, in the like Cowboy Bebop meme sphere. That one's getting used a lot. I also want to shout out um, our episode with Symphony Sanders because ed going in for that like poison fish it just reminded me that we declared her a lovecraftian horror <laughs> and she will in fact eat anything also ed has the line in this one visitors thank you for your attendance and that's one of my favorite ed lines of all time
0: <laughs> i want to give a shout out to the Seems that way from whitney haggis matsumoto which is a throwback to episode two stray dog strut seems that way <laughs>
1: I was hoping he would say it more. It is, is it a throwback? Seems that way. <laughs> jet is in fine Jet form. Uh, I just, I love that we had Bo on this show because now whenever Bo has a particularly saucy line read, I just smile all the more. Uh, what does he say? He's like, when everyone else was snoozing, Jet was on the job. <laughs> and he just loves being a successful bounty hunter. He's wrong about Faye's motivations, though. He, he does believe that Faye is going to let Whitney go. But it's not because of her personal trauma. He doesn't know anything about that. It's just that he thinks, like, babes like her will yep. do anything for an old boyfriend. And he's kind of a jerk. This is the watch through where we sigh and
2: are disappointed in Jet. Jet, don't say that women aren't driven by reason. What are you thinking, buddy? Buddy, you know better than that.
1: He personally knows better than that because we watched him, like, go to the bar where his ex-girlfriend worked to, like, shove the broken watch of their former love in her face. You don't have any room to talk, (laughs) Jet.
0: Right. (laughs) I want to let's let's talk about Spike, please. First off, his line, your story needs editing. That always gets me. That's a really great line. Um, But he literally sat in the bathroom to listen
1: in on Faye's
0: confession to Ayn. Like, what an
1: asshole. (laughs) And he sides with Whitney for a while. Like, he gives a stranger the benefit of the doubt over Faye. I think he eventually learns that he didn't deserve it, and Faye was right. But man, does not have her back.
2: He does try and shoot down her spaceship also, like, in a real way. This is true. Their gunfight
0: is actual gunfight. Like, you can tell they're both in it 100%. And uh, that actually is a throwback to episode three, Honky Tonk Women, uh, where they never kind of resolve that space battle. Like she got off with a win and now Spike has a win on himself.
2: I just feel like in general, friends ought not to try and murder one another. I just feel that's just a personal feeling I have.
0: I would agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we're we're constantly back and forth on this. Um, episode 11 showed us that they're kind of more, like maybe they're not friends. Maybe they're just family who just has to get along with each other because they're stuck in these circumstances. They're going to swindle each other out of their clothes and shoot down monopods and try to yeah. take bounties from each other. It, it happened in the manga. We've seen this at least five or six times where they've been very competitive with each other. and But there's still that familial bond that's persistent in the room.
2: So I feel like I noticed that Spike and Faye sort of have this like hate-flirt situation that they do with one another. Do you guys oh, yeah. feel that Spike was jealous at this point? Or do you feel like they don't know each other well enough for him to be like, hmm, that is, that is the lady I have an eye on. I, I'm, I'm not sure how, what my read on their relationship is.
1: Faye does, in fact, accuse him of being jealous at the end. And I wanted to unbox that because Faye, I think we have agreed since like Jupiter Jazz wishes that Spike and Jet were into her. She likes when men are jealous. She likes when men are fighting over her. It makes her feel like she's in a position of power. So I think that's the reality she would prefer. But yeah, you're right. What do we think Spike feels? My personal opinion about Spike throughout this entire anime is that he's obsessed with Julia. He's stuck on Julia. And he ends up having feelings for other women. I think personally, he has feelings for Faye. I think we see him have feelings for another woman in the manga. And we see him have maybe even feelings for another woman in the movie. But he just like limits himself and punishes himself and does like mental gymnastics to resist it and turn it off so he can wait for Julia or stay faithful to her and maybe the way that manifests is him trying to kill Faye. I don't
2: know. (laughs) Oh yeah, he's just flirting. You know, a little uh gunfight love flirt. Right.
1: Oh, it's toxic. Whatever it is, extremely toxic. I'm not saying it's a good thing he's doing, but Oh totally. I think I think he takes his romantic feelings and like warps them into anything else that he can. That's my 2021 read on Spike.
2: And I mean, I I am all for being like, people can think that Spike is a cutie, that he is that glamorous Han Solo dude. I think that is totally okay. We don't have to think about Spike as a person because he is a cartoon character, you know? Um, And when I think about Spike and fade together. They are both so toxic in their own ways. I feel like if they ever actually hooked up, they would combine in such a way, like like two, like a like an acid and a base. It would just kind of explode. I feel like if it ever actually came to fruition.
0: That's such a great analogy. I appreciate that one. (laughs) It's true. Their their relationship is very explosive. They're constantly at each other, bickering back and forth, and. I mean, what do you do when you're with close people that you enjoy? Like, you, you're you vulnerable enough to make fun of each other or, you know, really criticize them. In a way, that's vulnerability, but on your own terms. And I think in this regard, Spike is not into Faye. I, I really think that he is still so obsessed with Julia, this long flame that she, he's searching for. He's only a bounty hunter to pass the time and, and hopefully find her again. But like when it comes to how Spike regards Faye, I think he's still irritated by her. I think she's just this force of nature that took over this really calm, collected partnership that he and Jet had. Uh, but he's along because he's bored. He's She's ma- livening things up, you know. Um, I think the other aspect to their relationship, though, is that they're really good professional partners, We've seen them time and time again get the bounty now that she's in the picture. They work really well and complement each other. And I will say, though, sometimes when you have that kind of relationship with your professional coworkers or colleagues, that could spark a little
2: bit of flame. That could yeah. ignite some fire, sure. Is it romantic? Not necessarily. Spike's a mess, Faye's a mess. And when they get together, they form a perfect landfill. That is basically how I feel about their relationship. <laughs>
1: This is this is a lot. And this is more of an explicit swing than I think I've ever taken on this show before. So uh, NSFW, y'all. So, you know how.
2: (laughs) I'm so excited.
1: Please. (laughs) Yes. uh, Listeners at home, have you ever been in a relationship where someone was cheating on you, but they justified why it wasn't cheating? Like, maybe they kissed, but they didn't have sex, so it wasn't cheating. Or like, we had oral sex, but not penetrative sex, so it didn't even, it wasn't even real. What are you upset about? Like, that sort of, like, gaslighting uh, bullshit. Ga- I was going to
2: say, gets gaslighting.
1: Spike, like, if I wrote a fanfic about Spike and Faye right now, Lauren. it would be that they, what? <laughs> if, <laughs> if. Okay, the 300-page fan, the, the fanfic that I have written and it already exists, is uh, Spike and Faye have a sexual relationship, but both of them say things to convince themselves and each other that it's nothing and it's not a big deal. And so Spike can still feel like he is true to Julia. I think he's the type of guy who would do that. And I don't know how, in the anime, we would show something like that on a cartoon right. that is not pornographic, it is not X-rated, other than a gunfight in the sky.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the gunfight is a euphemism for their sex they're having that we're they're not seeing. they fiery, either.
2: explosive sex they're having. I love it. I freaking love it. I didn't
0: think we'd
1: get here. <laughs> I didn't think we'd get here by episode 18 on our show. <laughs> uh, yeah. I feel like this is the thing that's going to get me the hate mail. Like, it's finally going to come after today. The hate mail is going to start. But at the end scene, when Faye is like, you were jealous, she seems so confident that there'd be a reason to say that, that Mm -hmm. that's my new fan theory is like they're banging and they're both sort of like, it's nothing until they can jab at each other with it. Then it suddenly means something.
2: I love this theory and I feel like it actually makes their dynamic make a lot more sense to me. Um, and, and also just based on the way that they interact with other human beings, I feel like it, it it just sounds right that they would be like, yeah, I'm just I'm just getting this out of my system with this person. I don't really there's no feelings. I'm not catching feelings here. That's ridiculous. Silly. Um, I think about them all the time and sometimes I, I spy on them when they talk to their dog. But no, 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 no. no. I'm not in love with them. That sounds about right. Yeah.
1: I mean, right, because if you weren't emotionally entangled with someone, wouldn't you come out of the bathroom and be like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, please let me just walk by and not just sit in the bathroom?
2: No, because when are you going to have the blackmail? (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully you get it. (laughs) He could have even just opened that bathroom door and like, I mean, he was in the bathroom, guys. He was in there for a long time. He would just let his poo stink out, walk through and just be like, what up, Faye? And then just go away. If he didn't care at all, he could have acted in a way that showed he didn't care. But staying in the bathroom, period, shows he cares.
0: I'm going to leave the sexual tension and like the actual sex fanfic to the fanfic writers. I think there's (laughs) legs there but only in the AU that really wants it. <laughs> I can accept that. I'm still on team. They're too much like brother and sister, or at least Spike views Faye as a sister that he he's not particularly fond of yet, but Faye so desperately wants to see him as a romantic interest.
1: I, I would buy either one of them seeing this as a sibling relationship. And I know that's generally the fan consensus. I just knew this was like my one shot at trolling the <laughs> way that I wanted to troll. So like, thank you for entertaining it. Uh, one One more thing between them that really raised my eyebrow was that Spike brings up like, you've lied about your past before. What makes this one the truth? And Faye kind of communicates that like, not telling the truth or omitting the truth isn't equivalent to lying. And I feel like that's something I definitely believed when I was 23. And <laughs> right. now, now I don't agree with that anymore. That is a very self-serving and crappy thing to say.
0: I'm going to go back because this was actually a conversation on Twitter uh, with Annan's Mike Toole, who uh, also brings up that Spike being 27 And Jet being 36 in the show just doesn't seem plausible. Like they seem like they carry themselves well beyond their years. And Faye's the actual character who's supposed to be 23 could potentially, I I think she acts like she's 23. She lived a lot in those three years to become the adult she is. But in a lot of ways, she still has emotional growth, you know, that needs to happen. And for her to unload her burdens onto Ayn, a dog that will not respond or, you know, give her lip service or make her feel self-conscious in any way. Like, I feel like that part of her was very, you know, warm-hearted and, like, open and vulnerable. But also, why now? What what caused her to bring up Whitney in her memories? Like, did she hear that Jet was looking for this bounty subconsciously while she was sleeping? Or, like, I guess narratively, we're just going to write this off as kind of a plot hole.
1: I never thought of it this way before, but we just watched Jupiter Jazz so recently that I wonder if the Jupiter Jazz experience of meeting a character like Gren and finally getting the opportunity to bond with someone, even momentarily, just left her in a place where she was more craving that intimacy again or thinking about her past again. And- Pets are just such good listeners, you guys. I tell my dog everything, and I think we shouldn't discredit just the warmth of Ayn and what a good friend Ayn can be.
2: But she's not a very good friend back. I I thought it was so... It's always fascinating to me to see when characters are set up to really love pets or really hate them because I feel like people have a very strong emotional reaction to that. So, for example, Hellboy is this, you know, big scary dude, but he loves kittens. And so now you know he's a good guy. And when we go into how much Faye dislikes Ayn and doesn't really understand Ayn and is saying like, well, haven't you learned how to wipe your own beehole yet, you silly dog? Uh, You know, I actually thought that they were trying to get me to dislike her in that moment.
0: I would agree with that. She does things throughout the show that, you know, puts up her armor. She'll make a stink about something because she needs to be this like pampered femme fatale. You know, she has a sense of arrogance about her, but I think that's all a show. I think we've proven time and time again that She acts this way because she's trying to keep her vulnerable self tucked away.
2: Well, Ayn is very emotionally intelligent, so that's good. Yes. (laughs) Yes.
0: <laughs> He's also a thick brow boy at the end, which I think is adorable. I kind of <laughs> want to do that to my dog sometime.
1: <laughs> Don't draw on your dog with a Sharpie. <laughs> yeah,
2: you got to use something that uh, you can wash out with water. Just get you some Crayolas. I think you'll, you'll be just fine. Oh, I was
0: thinking some felt. Let's get him some felt eyebrows.
1: Yeah, that'd be cute. Mm-hmm.
2: Mustache, too. <laughs>
1: So the ultimate baddie of this episode is not exactly Whitney. It's actually Dr. Bacchus, who abandons in yet another explosion his nephew, leaves him to the wolves, and allows Whitney to go to jail. Faye gets to say goodbye to Whitney. Whitney confesses love for her, but then quickly stammers and is like, no, no, I'm just lying. So real quick, does he love her or not?
2: No, he absolutely no. doesn't. He has no, and he had no opportunity to love her. When I mean, he calls her Sleeping Beauty, when he says that he fell in love with her while she was asleep, that's not falling in love with somebody. That's making up a, a nice little history for this person you find attractive with your brain and then deciding that that is the personality that they have. So, I mean, may, he may have sort of thought that he was in love with her at one point, but uh, <laughs> gross.
0: <laughs> Spike says that. Whitney and Faye were made for each other. They're kind of cut from the same cloth at this point. You can see how both of them are working under self-interest and, you know, really trying to further their own personal goals at the expense of others. And I think that's an accurate read. I think that Whitney's just a jerk all around. He's Garbo. Uh, He put Faye in this situation, and we're supposed to feel very much
2: big
1: hatred for this man. And I do. We hate him so much. The bounty is just a weird dub sub error. And this isn't even that interesting, but I sat with my partner, like trying to articulate this for way too long. So I'm going to share it with y'all as well. In the dub, the crew is going for a bounty of 19,800, and it is actually 1,980. In the sub, they are going for a 198,000 Wulong Bounty, and Jet's financing accounting error brings it down to only 19,800. So between the dub and the sub, an extra zero gets put in there that makes their misunderstanding much worse depending on like (laughs) which one you're listening to. And it also changes the context of that scene where Spike flips Faye a coin. Because depending on which one you're watching, they either already know that the bounty was actually lower or they're about to find out. And I think it's the former. I think they already know they got screwed at that point because that's how there's only one coin to give Faye. But just if you're if you're watching it on, on the Blu-rays, just take note. Someone messed up the numbers. It's so odd. I want to give a shout out to the Yellow Fiat. In that
0: scene where uh, Whitney is exploded, uh, that is a callback to Loop on the Third. I also want to highlight Keiko Nobomoto's work on this episode. Keiko is best known for her work just doing so many great character portrayals in anime. So she worked on Carolyn Tuesday, Samurai Champ Blue, Space Dandy, which are all Watanabe works as well. But she also worked on Wolf's Reign in Tokyo Godfathers and Macross Plus. And here's my theory. I'm going to go to town here because this is the first time I'm voicing it. Watanabe is brilliant at paying homage to film and music. Like, he has clearly this really great love for these things. But if it were not for Keiko Nobumoto, these characters would not be nearly as impactful as they are on screen and in these subsequent rewatches. I think she really does the work to bring them the life as true characters. Watanabe comes to the show with a world, a vision, energy, like setting, all of this stuff. But Keiko puts these characters in and makes you feel for them. And that, I think, is just so beautiful. It's so apparent in a show like Wolf's Rain, where the story and the setting isn't so fascinating. It's all about character development and character-driven motivation.
1: The end. That is so... Deeply fascinating. And it's the type of thing that I never would have learned were I not to do this show with you. And so thank you for bringing that sort of knowledge to the program. Meanwhile, what I brought to the program today was why is Faye's ship called the red tail? It is not the red ship. Spike's ship is the red (laughs) ship. And I have made for you a list of animals that in nature are called red tails. Oh, I want to hear it. We have. Red tailed hawk, red tailed boa, red tailed black shark, and red tailed catfish. What on earth is her ship named after? Why is it called that? It looks like none of those things.
2: <laughs> I mean the coolest one is clearly the shark, with the runner up <laughs> being the hawk.
1: I have to imagine it's hawk because it flies. Right. But no no animals on that list have like two big clamps in the front. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it. Why was it named this? Well,
0: so the swordfish and the hammerhead are also both fish or aquatic creatures. So I assume it's an aquatic creature um, that goes hand in hand with the bebop ship being a fishing trawler, right? So in these constant themes of water and fish and (laughs) etc.
1: It's probably catfish then, if I'm honest.
0: No, not the least cool one. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about how things are named. Faye is named after the song My Funny Valentine from the musical Babes in Arms that's been covered by artists such as Frank Sinatra and Miles Davis. Uh, I find this interesting because later on, we still go by the name Faye Valentine. Yeah. Spoiler, I guess. (laughs) So it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful name. I think that it really accurately describes her in a way that most other anime characters' names don't. Like, who names their kid Spike? I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I do find myself wondering if now that she knows who named her and the role that that man played in her life, if someday years from now she may rename herself or if she will get to a point where she just feels like she's claimed it and it's hers now. She's made it her own and she can sort of live with that. I guess let's take a poll in the room. Do we think Faye Valentine will stay Faye Valentine forever?
2: You know, I was thinking to myself that Faye does not yet have a middle name. So maybe at some point, if she doesn't change her whole name, maybe she'll just clip on a nice middle name that she likes. Like, I don't really know what she would like. Not like Clarissa or Meredith or something, but something like Terror or Arson or something like that. I, I, I can see that happening. Or she can
0: lean into her... Poker Alice moniker, the thing she's known for.
1: Oh, yeah. I guess she's already earned other names in her her short time awake. That's fair.
2: Yeah, I'd call her Alice. That's fine by me. I still support Faye Arson Valentine the most.
1: (laughs) Faye Grand Theft Auto (laughs) Valentine.
2: (laughs) Faye Money Laundering Valentine. There are just so many possibilities.
0: (laughs) Speaking of things that aren't things, the monitor, hot water pot, and cellular phone. Things that are not things in the future. They're actually a face washer.
1: What's a face washer? I need to know. Well, Jamie, it's something that washes your face.
2: But why? Who would put that contraption
0: on their whole entire face?
2: Like, It doesn't make any sense to me. Weren't they at supposedly some sort of laboratory or hospital? So why does she have a setup that includes a face washer and a washing machine? She doesn't own any clothes yet. Plot hole, Mr. Frodo.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's the bigger question. Like, why were all those things stashed in her hospital room? If not, I mean, maybe, maybe just part of the scam. Maybe just more things to terrify and confuse her and make her rely on Whitney if we want to be really insidious.
0: Other cool things from the future. Super holographic vending machines are still a thing. I want the holographic vending machine. Um, another question. Why does everyone not have a tattoo ID on their neck? Seems like Whitney's yeah. the only person.
1: Thank you for bringing that up. I started to wonder if that was some sort of criminal-related thing or gang-related thing, and maybe he just told her everyone had one, because it doesn't come up in the show ever again. He sells it to her like, everyone but you has one of these but that doesn't play out, does it?
2: Does not. It doesn't, and it almost felt like it was going to be foreshadowing because it wasn't just I have this as identification. It's if I ever lose my way or, or forget who I am, I have this. And and I was like, oh, so are they? Is that going to happen? Are we going to find phase? And then no, no, we don't. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's like it's like a Chekhov's gun that never fires. They're just like, look at this gun and then they put it away. What a nice <laughs> gun. <laughs> Maybe it was just, like, a cool tattoo that he got after seeing The Matrix or something, and now he just lies about it.
2: He just got, like, (laughs) the code off of an apple at Target or something like that and got it tattooed (laughs) on himself. Yeah, like the scan, the scan quote code that you...
1: It was just a craze in the future. Like, you know, for a while, people were getting Japanese characters, and for a while, people were getting, like, really problematic, quote-unquote, tribal tattoos. yeah. There was just a weird phase where people got barcodes for a while of their favorite grocery item. He just loves Teddy Grahams.
2: <laughs> I do, too. Cinnamon is the number one. I freaking love it. I want to believe that it's Teddy Graham specifically, actually. I also want to know why
0: someone whose entire livelihood is scamming people would just blatantly wear their ID on their neck where everyone Fair. can see it.
1: <laughs> I think he. OK, that's another question. Episode just full of questions. We're never going to stop ans- asking questions. Was his whole livelihood scamming people or did he just do this once?
0: He clearly did it again to have another bounty on him. To get that name Madam Killer. Madam Killer.
1: Oh yeah, fair. Done. He did Juan. it again.
0: <laughs> uh I want holographic books at the library. I think it's cool that dining and dancing and nightlife are still all sim- similar in the future somehow and
1: libraries still exist, but we have cool holograms. I'm just going to go back on the hologram thing. This is the future I want. I think as people, we're all going to like the same things, you know, I think as a bunch of primates crawling around on a planet, we're always going to love music. We're always going to love food and we're always going to love romance. And it's just going to change its form. But those things are always going to be very attractive.
2: And we're also always going to love Pokemon, it turns out, because I, I I replayed that scene at the library over and over trying to figure out what the hell was happening in that hologram. And granted, did not have my glasses on, but it did look like a little Pikachu at being on a leash with a guy. What was she read watching? I'll go with Pokemon. I'll buy
0: that. <laughs> cool. All right. All right. It's a huge franchise. Of course, it's going to be relevant 70 years
1: from now. It's, Pikachu wouldn't accept being on a leash, though. And we all know it to be true.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think the most maddening, the most maddening part of the entire episode is when Faye point blank asks Whitney, you're like, do you know anything about my past? Like, tell me the truth. And he asks her repeatedly, are you sure you want to know? Are you ready to deal with the consequences? What a ridiculous statement. It's like, what do you mean? Of course I'm ready to know who I am. It was just, it was a very silly power play move at a time where he was trying not to piss her off. And I just found that so freaking strange. And then he ultimately had no information for her. That was just the most maddening part of the the episode, I think. He lost two fingers there. (laughs) (laughs) should have. My read on that is
1: that's probably a tool in his toolbox that has worked on women before. Like women start to sniff out his trail and figure out what's really going on. And then he scares them out of pushing any further and it didn't work. So that's great.
0: But you're right. I wanted to double punch him right there. Be like, of course. Why wouldn't she? You're not buying any time. You're stuck in this monopod. And yes, you're going to be caught by the police.
2: Yes, I agree. And it was just so frustrating that he's, he says this, he dangles it over her, and then there's no information to give. I completely agree with you, Lauren. I, I, the, way, the way that you explained that sounds right to me. And it didn't even really dawn on me that that could have been a possibility, that he's just got a toolbox of awful things that he says to his victims. And yeah.
1: These these guys have a pattern and it works for them. And if it stops working for them on one woman, it will just work on another one. And that's why they keep getting away with it for their entire lives. Um. I may or may not be speaking from personal experience. Just saying.
0: During my rewatch, this felt like movies I had seen before or shows I have seen before. So question to our listeners, if you know of our movie analog that this goes with, Please send it our way. I'm dying to know which films that this borrows from.
1: Before we go a couple more little dub sub catches because I know some people pay close attention to this, when Ed went for the toxic fish in the sub, what Jet says is don't eat that, you malnourished kid. And like he uses malnourished like an insult as if it's not completely their fault that a child is malnourished. Right? <laughs> like What a horrible self-dunk. Another Ed sub thing is when Jet is telling Ed about this Don Juan bounty, Ed says that he commits matrimonial fraud, which I think any time a man is a scumbag, I think from now on I'm going to say he's committing matrimonial fraud because that sounds very elegant. And then lastly... Ed asks for a food. In the sub, she asks for chicken kebabs. And in the dub, she asks for chocolate. And I thought that was so bizarre. And I wonder if that was just like an early 2000s choice. Like, people in America don't eat kebabs. Kids love chocolate. Seems that way. Seems that way. Jet's not a good dad. Jet's a bad dad. (laughs) (laughs) Jet. Might I also
0: say he has kept evidence In a subfreezer, this is not the first or second of two refrigeration items that we've seen, but the third. They have three refrigerators on the ship, and this one still contains something
1: toxic and poisonous. Jet's like a divorced dad who's just, his heart's in the right place, and he's trying so hard, but he actually doesn't know how to relate to kids, and he spends too much money on his hobbies, like bonsai and cars.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Trin, thank you so much for joining us this episode. It's been a lot of fun digging into these awful characters with you. This was a fantastic pairing, in my opinion. Where can our listeners find you online
2: and what are you up to? Thank you so much for having me first. This was a ton of fun. And like I said, I watched this episode like five times four or five times, uh, and I've just been looking forward to recording this all week. So thank you so much for having me. If people want to find me on the internet, uh, they should go to friendshippingpodcast.com because that is where they could find uh, the podcast that I have about friendship called Friendshiping and the book that we wrote about friendship. So thank you for letting me plug my stuff.
1: <laughs> Whitney is a bad friend. We keep talking about cutting off his fingers So I would like to sign off today by each of us wishing a fate upon Whitney. I'll start. Whitney, I wish for you the same fate I wish Jeff Bezos, that you and your exploitations earn you a lot of money, but then you end up alone and hated by everyone, and you spend that money to take a rocket into space, and that rocket explodes, and no one mourns you. (laughs)
0: Wow. Um, we are like the new dunking on Jeff Bezos podcast. <laughs> this is not the first time.
1: <laughs> no, it was Elon. It was, to be fair, it was Elon Musk last time. You're right. <laughs> Dunk on millionaires, Billionaires. If Jeff
2: Bezos dies in his his little spacecraft situation. His divorce rocket. His divorce <laughs> rocket. <laughs> I feel like an unofficial national holiday will just be called by the populace.
0: <laughs> Whitney, I wish upon you a death that is not yet come. I hope you are cryogenically frozen and thawed 300 (sighs) years later and so in debt that they decide to take a pound
2: of flesh for every wulong you owe. Whoa. Whitney, what I wish for you is that you will be swiftly released from prison and you will find out very quickly that nobody actually calls you Madam Killer. Uh, the police just used that on your warrant uh, so that you'd seem more enticing to uh, snatch up. Uh, and then, right after that, I hope you get hit by a car. The end. <laughs>
1: Immediately after, he finds that out.
2: <laughs> and it's Faye. It's Faye driving the car. And Ayn's and in, the, in the passenger seat. And he's got one of those, those like aviator goggles on and a little scarf. It's a whole thing. It'll be adorable.
1: And felt eyebrows. Yes. Trin, where is your AO3 so I can follow this plotline?
2: <laughs> I'll never tell.
1: <laughs> Someday, some fanfic is going to pop up about Faye and Spike's sex life and Whitney getting hit by a car. And you'll know it is secretly us. That day will come someday. (laughs) We'll have to team up for that. And we will not tell you when it is. Oh, yeah.
2: It'll be the collaboration of the season.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's all we have for you this week, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to The Bebop Beat. Join us for next week's episode when we discuss Black Dog Serenade with film critic Ruben Rosario. Only watch it, though, if you're an old guy. Apparently, you're not supposed to if you're a child or young or otherwise.
1: (laughs) Oh, no, we can't watch it. (laughs) Bye-bye. So (laughs) long. Farewell. Thank you for listening to the Bebop Beat. If you like our show, please rate us on Apple or wherever you find your podcasts. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at Bebop Beat. Our email address is bebopbeatpodcast at gmail.com. The Bebop Beat is hosted and produced by Jamie
0: Sanchez and Lauren Fates. Our editor and associate producer is Angela Geis. Our logo and art assets are by Kat Janda. Hello, I'm Jamie Sanchez, and you can call me Madam Killer. (laughs) I'm. (laughs) Who was
2: that? That was me. I'm so sorry. Keep going. I'm just going to. I'm going to. I'll be so quiet now.